there's one thing we haven't talked about yet that actually makes up a lot of our life. We've talked about work and we talked about busyness and decisions, but there's something we haven't talked about that makes up a good chunk of our life, especially in Denver. And I mean, there's a lot of people in Denver that actually move here for this piece of our life. And it's a, it's a big piece of our life, but we haven't even talked about it yet. And, and that is fun or pleasure or the things that we enjoy. That decisions and work and busyness and all that stuff, man, that makes up a lot of our life. But, but isn't it true that a big piece of our life is filled with all the different things that we enjoy, whether those are hobbies or the mountains or camping or hiking or biking? I mean, even if you just think about what you did this weekend, what was it that you did this weekend? Maybe you worked, and I'm sorry, but maybe you didn't. And maybe you explored different things that Denver has, and maybe you had good coffee, and you hung out with people, and you were with friends, and you were laughing, and you were with family, and you were watching a TV show that you liked, and you were, you were doing things that were fun, right? That makes up a lot of our life. The things that we enjoy make up a good chunk of our life. And we all enjoy all sorts of things, I mean, I love Lord of the Rings. You hear me talk about it pretty much every Sunday. I love movies. I love music. I love being in the mountains. We were in Golden, which isn't you know, quite the mountains, but we were in Golden this weekend, kind of looking at some of the fun stuff that they have to offer. I mean, there's, there's, just, I mean, there's all sorts of things that, that you love, that I love, that we spend time doing, but do we know how that fits into building a life? Do we know how that fits into life as a Christian? Because a lot of times we don't think about it that way. We think, here's all this kind of hobbies and fun and pleasure, and, and that's a big part of our life, but how does that fit into being a Christian? Does it at all? Is it, it, does, it, does it fit anywhere, or, or maybe it's just something we're not actually supposed to do, but we just feel guilty about doing? I mean, where does it fit in? Where does kind of the stuff, the fun things that we enjoy, where does that relate to building a life? Where does it relate to being a Christian? And, and here's what I know. If you're a Christian, and if, if you've been a Christian for kind of a while, a lot of times we don't think about this subject at all. Don't really know. How does that fit in? Or if we do, we may feel kind of a subtle guilt about some of those things. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says a lot of things that seem to contradict living life with fun and pleasure and hobbies. It says a lot of things like this. How do the things we enjoy, this is not the Bible, <laughs> this is the Bible right here. How do the things we enjoy relate to building a life? That's a question that we're going to ask. So here's some things the Bible says like this in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So the Bible says, hey, you should be medita- meditating day and night on what God says. So then where does hiking a 14er fit in? Unless you have your app open while you're going, you know. Where Psalm 63 says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So the Bible says, look, you know what's better than life? The love of God. So if we really start to compare things then and we go, okay, so then why am I doing anything? Why am I not just kind of basking in the love of God? Why am I not just reading the Bible and singing songs if it's better than life? Or it says this, whom whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. There's nothing on earth. There's nothing on earth, God, that I desire besides you. I don't, I I mean, some of you maybe already are hungry like me, but it doesn't matter because I have God. Don't need to eat. Don't need to watch Luke Cage. I don't need to, I don't need to listen to any music because whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth 
that I desire. The person sitting next to you, if you're their friend, look to them and say, I don't desire you at all. No, don't really say that. But that's, but that's what this says, right? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you, God. But so where does all this stuff fit in then? We just had a couple babies born into our community. And I know more of you are pregnant. But you would say to that baby, I don't even desire you. I desire God. Or this, Psalm 27, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He, he says, there's only one thing I want. There's only one thing. It's to seek after God. I just want to dwell in his house all the days of my life. But what about all the other things that we do? Or Philippians, this is Paul writing, and he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. So I've, I've had a lot of things in my life. I count them all as loss. I don't care about them because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He turned British for a second. In order that I may gain Christ. So he says, look, everything in my life, it's nothing. It, it doesn't, it's all counted as rubbish, or the actual word is dung or crap, actually. Scubula. So he says, it's all horrible. It's nothing to me compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. So as Christians, we know a lot of these verses. Maybe we haven't heard those ones exactly, and, and maybe you haven't um, even have a verse to it, but, but we can just feel, man, I've got things I enjoy. I've got life that I enjoy, but, but how does that fit in? And a lot of times we have guilt. You enjoy something and there's guilt. Shouldn't I be reading the Bible instead of this? Shouldn't I be praying without ceasing instead of this? Shouldn't I be, how, how is it if I enjoy hiking and biking and fishing and camping and, and all the great stuff that Denver, how does that fit into life as a Christian? Does it? Or is it just something we're supposed to avoid altogether? Maybe we're not supposed to do it. Maybe we should just throw it all out or maybe, maybe we are, um, maybe we're just, we, we were supposed to throw it out or maybe we're supposed to have some sort of Christian version of it so we can only go on Christian hikes and we can only, you know, I don't know, you know, but we, how, do, how do we deal with that? How does it fit into our life? Because it's a big part of our life, right? The fun, the hobbies, the enjoyment, the pleasures. How does the things we enjoy relate to building a life that God has for us? I know sometimes I talk to Christians and they say something because we feel this guilt about some of these things, and we even sort of justify, well, you know, I went on, uh, you know, I went on a hike, but it was a good time of fellowship, you know, or I went on a road trip, but I listened to, you know, I was listening to music, Christian music on the way down, or I went on vacation, but yeah, I read, you know, a biography about this Christian guy, and, and I, I did, and we try, we, we really don't know how it fits in. And maybe some of you live like that, feeling guilty, maybe thinking you should do less of the fun things that you enjoy. How does it fit in? What if, what if it fit in in such a way that it actually helped us build a life? What if it actually fit in in such a way that it helped us to worship God, that it wasn't a distraction from God and it wasn't something we had to feel guilty about, but what if all the fun things that we enjoy and all the great stuff that Denver has to offer and all the different, what if it fit into our life in a way that was actually helping us move towards the life God is asking us to build? What if that happened? What does that look like? 
So let's start with this then, if, as we continue to talk about this. Why did God make the earth filled with the things we enjoy? Why did God make Breckenridge? Why did God make bacon? Why? You guys are, yeah, see, why? You know, all you vegetarians are like, yes, why did he do it? You know, all my horrible friends with their sizzling bacon. Why did God make bacon? Why do you make the mountains? Why do you make the, the minds that create literature and art? And why did he make music? And why did he make the voice of Adele? And why did he make those things? Why did he do that? Why did he make things? Why did he fill the earth with the things that we enjoy? If it's something that actually, you know, it's kind of, we're not really supposed to touch that. Why did he do it? And let me give you two reasons. First is simply this. He loves us. Why did God make all the things? I mean, why is the earth, if you look around, and if you look at your weekend or your last month, and you go, man, what's all the stuff I enjoyed that we can view as a temptation? We can view as something that produces guilt. Why did God fill the world with that stuff? Here's one reason. He loves us. He loves us. You know, the Bible says this. James, he writes, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Why is it that there are two tires combined to create a bike and someone's mind created that? Why are there trails and paths that go all throughout the mountains? Why are there beautiful colors that, that people go and see during this fall? Why, why does that exist? James says every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights. That He's the one that made it. And why did he do that? Paul says this. He's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor, and he's kind of teaching him what to do with rich people in his church. He says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And, you know, we would probably say, yeah, that's the instruction that should go to rich people. But then he adds this, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So he says, here's what I want you to teach rich people. I want you to tell them to be careful about being proud and not to have their ultimate hope be set on their riches and to enjoy what God has given them. You see, God loves us. Why is the world filled with all of this stuff that we like? Why is it filled with that? Is it because God is just this evil tempter that's kind of trying to trick us and go, I knew you would hike that. I knew it. I knew the Bible would be sitting on your shelf and instead you would be eating food that's not Christian and you didn't even pray, you know? Is that why? No, it says because God loves us. And he wants us to enjoy things. Look, even sometimes when we think about why has God provided the different things, why has God given us clothing, or why has God given us a house, or why has God given us food, we can even sometimes think in very utilitarian mindset. Well, maybe God gave us food because we have human bodies and we, have to, we just have to be able to function. And it's kind of fuel. And maybe God gave us houses and bricks and you know, wood because we need to be able to create structures to be able to stay out of the rain so we could read our Bibles without them getting wet. And, and, and we think in very functionalistic ways. We think of sometimes, not maybe not all of us, but I know I have and I'm sure many of you, we think almost like that we are, we're kind of living through life and, and the reason that God has given various things is, isn't because he wants us to enjoy them, but because of the function that they provide. And I love the way John Calvin, who is an old pastor in the 1500s, he says this, has the Lord clothed the flowers with the great beauty that greets our eyes, 
the sweetness of smell that is wafted on our nostrils. And yet, will it be unlawful for our eyes to be affected by the beauty? Or our sense of smell by the sweetness of the odor? What? Did he not so distinguish colors as to make some more lovely than others? What? Did he not endow gold and silver, ivory and marble with a loveliness that renders them more precious than other metals or stones? Did he not, in short, render many things attractive to us apart from their necessary use? Indeed, God did, and we thank him for it. Away then with that inhuman human philosophy, which while conceding only a necessary use of creatures, things in the world, not only malignantly deprives us of the lawful fruit of God's beneficence, but cannot be practiced. So he says it deprives us of enjoying God's goodness, but it also actually can't be practiced. This is why some of us feel guilt, because you can't go through life and not enjoy. And, and what he's saying is this, look, why did God make these things? He's agreeing with Paul, and he's agreeing with James, who say, look, you know why the earth is filled with all this stuff that you enjoy? You know why it's there? Because God loves us, and he wants us to enjoy things. He didn't make us as cars that just kind of fuel up. Even if you think about eating, think about eating, all those of you that are hungry. Let's think about eating for a little bit. Eating involves so many things, right? You look at something and it's beautiful. Good food, not Applebee's or cantaloupe, okay? Good food. You, you look at it, or cantaloupe from Applebee's, even the worst. <laughs> okay. You look, you look at food and it's beautiful, right? The good food, you go to a good, I mean, food looks beautiful. And then there's, there's certain things, you know, you eat some things and you're like, this tastes good, but ugh, the texture's kind of weird. So even the feeling of food, it's like, man, I like the feeling of this food. I like the taste of this food, the, the smell of this food. All of that produced to create joy. But God could have done this. He could have just like, created food gas stations that we just kind of plug in and there we go. But he didn't. Instead, he created this multifaceted sensory experience to produce even greater joy. And we, I won't go into as great a detail as I just did with food, but think about reproduction as well. You could just touch someone's finger and be like, baby, the end. Maybe some of you ladies would be like, that would be nice, you know, that would be really easy. But that's not how he designed it. He created it in such a way to create joy. Why did God fill the world with all the different things that we enjoy? When you think about the hobbies that you like and the things that you like, why did God make the world to have that stuff? Because he loves us? Because he cares for us? because he wants us to enjoy things. But secondly, it's not just that he loves us, although this is a part of it. It's also that God wants to communicate to us who he is. God wants to communicate to you and I who he is. And, and God could just use words for that. God could just say, I want you to know I'm strong. I want you to know I'm trustworthy. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I care for you. I want you to know that I'm patient. I want you to know he could use just words to describe who he is, right? God could do that. And he does do that. There's places that in the Bible he describes, he uses words and he says, here's who I am. But he doesn't just want to tell us, here's who I am. He wants us to see it. He wants to show it to us. He wants us to feel and experience who he is. And so why did God make the earth filled with the things we enjoy? Part of it is because he's trying to communicate to us who he is. He wants us to look around the world and see the world filled with all sorts of different things that communicate in some way what he is like. 
He wants us to look around the world and see things and know something of who he is through what we see. Here's how an author, uh, Joe Rigney, who has a book that I've learned a lot of this uh, stuff from and has been really helpful to me called The Things of This Earth. And, And he says this, God is a father. And so God doesn't just say, I'm a father. I want you to know I'm a father. What does he do? God is a father. And so he gives us earthly fathers so that we would know what he's like. God is a shield in a fortress. He's a roaring lion who devours his enemies. He hides his people under the shadow of his wings. To understand his anger, we must look to consuming fire. To grasp his steadfastness, we plant our feet on a rock. To comprehend the surety of his protection, we witness the shepherd with his sheep in the valley of shadows. See, all over the Bible, there's these images that God gives to us. He doesn't just tell us I'm patient or I'm strong, but he says, you know what my strength is like? It's like a rock. And we could think, okay, maybe God is looking at the world and what's there and he's kind of saying, oh yeah, I'm like that and I'm like that. And maybe that's partially true. But what's also true is that God actually designs things and puts them in the world. He fills the world with images and metaphors of what he's like so that when we see those things, we know something of who he is. He's trying to communicate to us. Here's who I am. I'm a rock. I'm a shepherd. It says, look at the mountains and see their strength, and you can know who God is. God is over and over again filling the world with different things so that he would be able to communicate to us, to tell us who he is. Here's what that means. It means that we should not avoid the things of this earth that bring us joy because they're one of the ways that we actually get to see who God is. Shouldn't avoid rocks because, I mean, I don't think, you know, maybe you're, Most people aren't trying to avoid rocks. But if you're somebody that likes to rock climb, I know some of you, you like to rock climb. And then you read a verse in the Bible that talks about God is a rock. There's something about God giving you a joy in rock climbing that he's trying to communicate. I'm like that. I'm strong and steady. I remember one time I went rock climbing. It was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've been skydiving and river rafting down waterfalls and I got married, all sorts of scary things. But rock climbing (laughs) is the scariest thing I've ever done. Climb to the top with someone that knew what they were doing, climbed to the top, and then at the very top, just hooked in by a little paperclip carabiner thing, and my knees were literally shaking. And if I had been more biblical at the time, I could have thought, God is like this. God is a rock that is so sturdy that a little paperclip can clip into it, and the rock's not going to move. God's unmovable. God's unshakable. And so God is filling the world with these different things to communicate who he is. And here's what this means. We shouldn't avoid those things. We should actually dive deeper into them and go enjoy them so that we can know what God is like even more. Here's a verse in the Bible that says this. It says, my son, look at kind of the logic he's using. My son, eat honey for it's good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. So he's telling him, look, I want you to go eat honey. I want you to enjoy it. I want the sugar. I want you to taste it. I want you to feel it. I want you to experience how it's sweet. Why? Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. See, one of the reasons that God created honey was for us to know what his wisdom is like. That's kind of interesting logic that we don't often think through. But he's telling him, look, I want you to go climb a rock. I want you to go eat honey. I want you to go have a donut. That's the the modern translation. I want you to have a donut. That way you would know how sweet God's wisdom is. 
Here's again how Joe Rigney says this. He says, that's what we see in Psalm 4, isn't it? And he quotes, you have put more joy in my heart than when the grain and new wine abound. But how shall we confess this meaningfully if the grain and wine had never put any joy in our hearts? How can we say, God, you've put more joy in my heart than bread and wine? And and how, how can we say that if those things have never brought us joy before? How shall we say that his love is better than life, one of the verses we looked at earlier, if we refuse to enjoy life at all? To say that we desire nothing besides him seems an empty compliment if it's literally true. I'm like, no, literally, God, I don't like anything. I hate it all. And God's like, thanks. It would be as if to say, I desire nothing besides you because I've never desired anything at all. But surely what the psalmist means is, I have desired many things in my life, many things of earth, but compared to you, they are as nothing. Jesus is better. So why does God fill the world with all these things that we enjoy? Part of it's because he loves us. He wants us to enjoy things like any good father does. Part of it is because he is communicating to us who he is. He wants us to look around and experience the world and be able to have more tangible kind of hooks and handles on who he is when he communicates who he is. He wants us to know his wisdom is like a donut. He wants us to know his strength is like the rock that we climb. He wants us to know that in a way that actually connects with us. Now, why does he, why does he do that? Why does, he, why does he put things in our life um, to communicate who he is? And why does he give us things to enjoy? Why does he do that? Why, why, why both of those things still? Why, what's beneath him filling the earth with these things that we enjoy? And I love how Paul says it in Acts. He's preaching to a Greek audience of people that don't know God. And he says this. He says, the God who made the world, so everything we're talking about, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So the God who made the earth, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So here's what Paul says. You know what? God makes this world and he fills it with all sorts of things. And, and he even determines times and places people live. But, but he, he does this. He designs this. He, he fills the world with all sorts of things. Why? Because he, he wants us to seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. It's in some ways as if God is dropping these different things in our lives. And if some of you are not Christians and you, you look at the mountains and you look at good food and you look at all these things, God puts these things in our life that we would feel our way towards him because he wants us to know him. See, why does God fill the earth with all these things that we enjoy? It's because he's trying to communicate who he is and it's because he loves us And both of those because he wants us to know him. He says he does this that we would feel our way towards him. See, God doesn't just communicate things about who he is. That way we would know in some general knowledge. He doesn't just give us gifts so so that we know, oh, he's loving. But he wants us to know him, to feel our way towards him, to find him. That's why he does it. See, God wants you and me to know him. 
to be in relationship with him. So he says, here's what I'm like so that we would know him. I'm like a rock. I'm like, I'm like a shepherd. I'm like a father. That way we would know him. And he gives us things and he wants us to enjoy things so that we would know him. See, God's intention in our lives is to draw us to him. He really, look, God really, really, really wants you and me to know him. And so what does he do? He fills the world with things that draw our attention to him, that communicate what he's like, that bless us so we can know him. That's God's desire. He wants us to know him. But we know this also. We know that we can twist these things, right? We know that God can give us good things and God can give us gifts and God can bless us and God can communicate things to us. But we also know that we twist often the good things that God has given to us to enjoy, right? We know that God doesn't just say, hey, here's the earth. I filled it with all sorts of things. Go have at it and tell me, you know, when you die, how it went. We twist the things that God gives to us. He wants us to know him but we often twist those very things that are intended to know him. How, how is it that we do this? And, and, and here's why this is important, because God puts all these things in our lives so that we would know him and it would actually help us to build towards a life that he is calling us to and leading us to. But if we twist the things he gives us, it actually means that the things we enjoy and the pleasures and the hobbies, and the, it actually means that those things actually push us away from the life that God is designing for us. And here's how Paul says it to the church in Rome. He says this, for his, talking about God, for his invisible attributes, and this is what we were talking about, right? God communicates things in this world. For his invisible attributes, his characteristics, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So he's saying you can look at the world and how it's been created. You can know things about God in the things that have been made. And then he says this, so they are without excuse, the people that don't know God. He says, they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That's they didn't worship him as God. Even though God communicated who he is throughout the world in the various things that have been made, they did not honor him. They did not worship him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, Paul tells us two things about how we twist the good things that God has given to us to enjoy. And we can find these in our lives. One of them is that we are unthankful. He says that though they knew him as God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him as God. You see, one of the ways we twist, see, God gives us things to enjoy. That way we would know him. That way we would know something of his character. But here's what we do sometimes. We live with no gratitude, no thankfulness. I mean, how easy is it for us to go through our life and have all sorts of great experiences and a great camping trip and a, a, great, um, a great meal and a, a great time with friends where you're laughing and joking or a great movie or a great book or a great sunset or a great walk around Sloan's Lake or whatever it is. How, how easy is it to, to do all that and God has a purpose for it, for us to know him and to see how good he is and not even be thankful at all. Or maybe even worse than that, to be proud. To actually feel, I did this. This is because of me. 
Is it because I worked hard that I was able to pay for this meal? It's because I am good at going on 5280 and choosing the top 25 best restaurants, and I'm a master at figuring out the Yelp reviews, and, I'm, and this is me. I did it. And I, I feel conviction over that. It's very easy to go through life and go, I'm the one that did this. I found out the best ways. I, I, I'm so good at Airbnb. I'm so good at looking. I can find the best place. I did this. I'm great at finding those hidden trails that nobody knows about. I'm great at, man, I've been training for bike, you know, whatever bike stuff. I don't ride bikes, but, you know, bike, I've been training for bike stuff so I can enjoy a beautiful bike ride. I did it. It says God has created the world and he's made the world and he's designed the world so that it would communicate something about who he is so we would know him and enjoy him. And, and, and he wants us to know him. But, Paul says, look, here's one of the sins that people have is though God did this, we're unthankful. Maybe because we just don't recognize him. Maybe because we're proud. Maybe because we feel like we earned it and God owes us. And here's what happens. We then miss out on knowing him. We miss out on experiencing his love if we go through life not with thankfulness. But the second thing that Paul says is is not just the ingratitude, but also that we do not honor him as God, that we don't worship him. He says that God filled the earth with all these things, but we're without excuse. That God communicated who he is through creation, but we're without excuse. And though we knew him as God, we did not give thanks to him or honor him as God. Which means this, that sometimes what happens is though God gives us good things to enjoy, instead of using those things to worship God, to know him, we become focused on that thing in and of itself and separate it totally apart from God. So I think it was a couple years ago, my, my wife gave me, uh, what, what was it? It was, the, it was the Lord of the Rings um, soundtrack for the whole movie, like the extended edition soundtrack, and it came with even like trading cards, which is so silly. But if you have one, I'll trade you. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and it's this like big old pack, you know, and it's several CDs. I think it's the last CDs we bought because we didn't have Spotify at that point. So I have this big old stack of CDs, the Lord of the Rings, you know, and it was a great gift. It was very thoughtful. She knows that, you know, I, I love that. And it was like, this is great, you know, but what if I took that and instead of enjoying it and knowing something through it about who my wife is, that she's generous and kind and thoughtful and knows me and, and enjoying the gift but also knowing about my wife through it. What if instead of that, I took that and was like, man, I love this. I'm gonna go on vacation with this. I'm gonna go on date night with this. I have a scooter and we usually ride it, you know, double. So, but no, me and Lord of the Rings, we're riding the scooter double. And I sing to it, you know, just the two of us. And I'm just like, man, this is, and I fall in love with that. Now that's silly, right? No one would do that. But that's what we often do with what God has given to us. God has given us good gifts and he's given to them so that we would enjoy them and so we would know him and be drawn to him. But a lot of times we separate what he's given to us from him. That's called idolatry where we worship that thing and we fall in love with that thing instead of him. I talk to people a lot that say something like this, the mountains are my church. Maybe you've said that before and and here's where that comes from. In some ways, it's a very insightful statement. In some ways, it's a very smart and wise statement, especially from those that don't know God, because they're confirming what the Bible teaches, which is that God is communicating something to them through the mountains, 
that he is communicating part of who he is through the mountains. That the glories of the mountains and the, the bigness and the vastness and the beauty and the strength and the wonder and the, all of that is communicating something of who God is. And so people experience that and go, this is telling me something. And it's a spiritual experience and they're right. But the mountains is only a piece. It's supposed to communicate part of who God is to draw us to actually know him. And when we separate those things and we just focus on that thing, we just focus on that thing, here's what happens. We actually miss out. We actually miss out because we're only having the thing that is pointing to the glory of God, to the character of God, to the goodness of God, to the God that wants us to know him. We're just, you're just getting the CD and not the wife. You're just getting the mountains and not the one that made them. We miss out when we separate what God has given from God himself. If we believe that the thing itself is ultimate and not the God that it points to. What happens is this. We try to actually get more out of that thing than it can give us. Because see, all the things in this world are designed to draw us into know God. Because he wants to know you. He wants to know us. But what happens is, when we only focus on that thing, we try to get something out of it that it can't give. There's a spiritual hunger in us. There's a spiritual hunger in us when we eat food that's good and when we go to the mountains and when we enjoy sports. And there's a spiritual hunger that wants something. But those things are just pointers to the God that is supposed to satisfy that spiritual hunger. It's like if you're, my wife likes to read food magazines which I never understand because I like to eat, you know, not to read about eating. But she likes to read food magazines. And there's something of there that points to something else, right? And the pictures are pretty and they communicate something and there's some enjoyment that she gets from that because it's pointing to something else. But if I were to walk in and she was sitting on the couch and just started tearing off the pages and eating them, first of all, that'd be freaky and I'd probably YouTube it so that I get, like, rich. But... but <laughs> But, because uh, that'd be really weird, but unless it was like organic paper or something, you know, then it's fine, biodegradable. But if she was doing that, we'd go, that's not what that's for, right? That's supposed to point you to the thing. But that's sometimes how we live our lives, is we're trying to get the spiritual satisfaction from the thing itself instead of to the God it points. And here's what ends up happening. It backfires. It backfires. Idolatry, worshiping a created thing always backfires. This is not the only uh, explanation for this, but this is part of where addiction can come from. Is that you go, alcohol is a created thing, but I'm going to try to get out of it everything. Food is a created thing, but instead of enjoying it and, and, and using it as a way to point me to a God that's created these amazing and beautiful flavors to show me how good he is and how diverse he is, instead of doing that, I want to get out of food the actual spiritual satisfaction, so I, and I go all in on it. And the Bible calls that gluttony. Or people. People are created things that reveal the glory of God, and yet how many of us have let people rule our lives? And we're afraid so much of what other people think of us. Or even in a romantic relationship, there becomes abuse and control. and also, Because sometimes, trying to get out of it, something it was never intended to give, supposed to point to a God that made it. 
See, it always backfires when we're trying to get out of it. The pointer. So Paul says that some of the ways that we twist this is being unthankful or not honoring God, not worshiping God, idolatry. And this is part of why the Bible has a lot of those passages we looked at in the beginning that are kind of comparative passages where Paul says, look, everything in life to me is, is rubbish compared to Jesus. Or whom have I in heaven but you? That's part of why the Bible has those passages that kind of compare things is for us to test our hearts. Where are we really? Have we twisted what God has given us? If God were to strip away the good gifts he's given you, would it be okay? If you were to lose the good gifts that God has given you, would it be okay? See, part of why the Bible does have some of those teachings that encourage us to go, is this really ultimate to you? Is because it wants us, God wants us to know him and enjoy him and, 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 and look around the world and go, man, you filled it with stuff for me to enjoy because you want me to see who you are and know you and enjoy you. So the Bible puts passages in there, though, to protect us from actually saying, I just want that instead. Because then we actually miss out if that's what happens. We actually miss out. The thing itself destroys us. And we miss out on actually knowing the God that has given it to us. And so, yes, we should think about our lives. We should go, am I enjoying the good gifts that God has given me or if I made them ultimate. And the Bible has a lot of tests to think through that. And we're not going to go through all that tonight. But it is something that we should think about. But what does it look like to use the things we enjoy in a way that helps us to actually move towards building the life that God has for us? Here's, here's, what, we've, here's what we've seen. God, God wants you and me to know him. And so he fills the earth with stuff for us to enjoy that communicates his character, that draws us to him, that loves us so that we enjoy. But what does it look like then for you and me to, to live our lives with all the different things that we have, whatever you're into, whatever the hobbies are and the uh, pleasures and things that you like? What does it look like to take all that stuff and use it actually in a way to move towards building the life that God has for us. It's a big part of our life. I mean, think about that. What you enjoy and your hobbies, it's a big part of your life. So what if that could actually be used? What if that could actually be used to deepen your relationship with God and deepen what it looks like to move towards the life God has for you instead of be a distraction, instead of be a source of guilt? And let me just give you two things. I think there's many ways, but here, here's two things. One is this what it looks like to use the things we enjoy in this way. Here's the first. We have to have kind of anchor points in our life. We, we know this when we eat a meal, right? When you eat a meal, if, if you're, um, usually it's only with, if you're with other Christians. If you're by yourself, you just, you know, eat. But when we're with other Christians, and usually it's only dinner, too. People don't pray over breakfast. But when you're, when you're, you're eating a meal, I don't understand all the weird Christian rules. And you also don't pray over appetizers, which is another thing, you know. It's like if you go to a restaurant, appetizers come, it's okay. You don't have to pray about the appetizer. Fried food could never be blessed by God, you know, or whatever the, whatever the appetizer is. Or chips and salsa, you know, you don't have to pray about that. But once the dinner comes, then you pray, okay. So, I mean, I do it too. I'm just saying it's weird. But, so, but that's an anchor point. You're about to enjoy a meal. 
And so before that meal happens, we, we say thanks for it. But what does that look like to take that concept and have that filtered through our life? Because here's, here's what we don't do, even when we eat, right? When you're eating, you, before you eat a meal, you say, God, thank you for this food, and thank you that you've given us this food, and, and et cetera, et cetera, right? And then you start eating. You don't all of a sudden take a bite and then stop, and then, okay, God, thank you for that bite, okay, and then the next bite, okay, God, thank you for that bite, and or just want to bless that bite, bless this bite to my body, okay, God, bless this bite to my body, okay. I mean, dinner would take forever, and your friends would hate you, right? That's not how you do it. But we have to have anchor points because we can't always consciously be thinking about God. We just can't. But we have to have anchor points, whether it's with a meal or all the different things that we enjoy. What if, what if look, and I haven't done this, okay, so I'm just being honest, but I've been thinking about this this week. What if before you go skiing, especially if you go with friends and in the car ride up, before you go, you're saying, guys, let's pray. God, thank you for the mountains and thank you that you invented skis and thank you for speed and thank you for powder or ice or whatever it's going to be. God, thank you for this. And help us to enjoy this and even for it to communicate something of who you are through this. And then you go ski. It's not like you're praying on the lift every time. And, you're, and then you go ski and you enjoy it. And maybe you have another anchor point on the way back. You say, hey, let's thank God again for this. You see, how do we consciously live our life in such a way where, look, God has filled the world with things for us to enjoy. This is really important because we spend so much of our time enjoying stuff. What if we consciously put anchor points into our lives to think about, God, this is a gift from you. Thank you for it. God, you're trying to communicate something of who you are through this. Help us to see it. And then we live our life like that. One of the ways that my wife and I have done this since we were dating, is, is on a regular basis, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly, sometimes every other week, different times, we talk about the evidences of grace in our life, which is just a simple way to say, we talk about, we just ask each other, hey, where have you seen God be good to you this week? And it doesn't, ha- it can be, I had a great meal. It doesn't have to be, well, I was reading the Bible and Moses, part of the Red Sea, and I saw how awesome God was. It can be that, that's great. But it can also be, man, I've seen God be so good to me and that we were able to hang out with these friends and man, we were laughing so hard or man, we've got to go camping and we had a perfect view of the mountains and the waters. Oh, I love that combo. And oh God, that was so great. Thank you for doing that. And we talk about that regularly so that we have a conscious habit of talking to each other about, hey, where's God been good to you? Where's God been good to you? Because it's so easy to miss. It's so easy to receive all these good things from God and not be thankful, and not worship him, and not know him through it. So that's one, anchor points. Second, and pray for your chips and salsa. And second is, is this, read the Bible. I know that's cliche, and I'm supposed to say that as a pastor, but here's what happens when you read the Bible. Your mind is filled with who God is. Your mind is filled with images of God as a rock and God as a fortress and God as a shield and, and Jesus as a shepherd and, and, you're, and Jesus as a king. And Je- your mind is filled with these things. And, and if your mind is filled with that and then you're consciously going into the world that is filled with those images and as you experience those things, you're able to even more know, ah, that's what he was saying. Eat honey because it's sweet. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so if that verse is in your mind and then you're eating a delicious, bloody, raw steak 
and the juices are filling your mouth and you go, that's what David meant. He meant this. He meant, I think this steak is amazing. And, and David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is what he meant. God, you're something like this steak. You see, if we read the Bible, our mind is filled with who God is. And then as we go back into the world and experience what the world has that we enjoy, it helps us even more so to know him. Now let me close with this. All of this is saying this. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know him so he communicates in the world who he is. And he communicates that he loves us so he gives us things. God wants us to know him. Some of you maybe have been to the Clifford Stills Art Museum downtown Denver. It's free every Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. I don't work for them, so I'm just throwing that out there. 5 to 8 p.m., it's free. And it's a really cool museum because it's, uh, it's all just one person's work, Clifford. It's all his work. And, you know, you go into a museum and you look at a piece of art, you can kind of know something about the artist, right? You can kind of guess something about him if you look at a piece of their art. It communicates something of what that artist is like. But at this museum, you get to even know more of what the artist is like because there's written information about him. It gives you his history. It says he used to be in eastern Washington around farmers. And so you see a lot of his imagery with these farmers. And you see how he started to go through some changes and had some influences in his life. And it went from more realistic to more abstract. And so these farmers get droopy, weird faces and all this stuff. It's creepy. And you learn something of him because you can see his work and see something of him. And you read and you can see something of him. But here's what, Clifford's dead, but a lot of art museums are places that you go to. Sorry, that's kind of, he's dead, okay? So there's a point, okay? So it's not, it's not just a random fact, okay? But you go to some art shows and the artist is there, right? And they're kind of talking to you about their work. And, and they can, then you can even know something more about them. Not just because you saw their work and not just because you read about them, but because they are there. And you could actually leave there going, I know the artist. I've met them. I've seen them. Now, here's what's amazing about God. God wants us to know him. But he didn't just give us steak. He didn't just give us mountains. God didn't just say, I want you to know me, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fill the world. I'm going to, I'm going to create things that you can, that you can feel your way and, and find me and see things about me. He didn't just do that. You know what he did. God actually entered into creation and became a human and took on a body and took on flesh and said, I want you to know me so bad, not just that I'm going to put rocks and shepherds and stakes and clouds, and mountains. I want you to know me so bad that I'm not content with you just seeing the painting. I'm not content with you even just reading about me, but I'm going to enter in so that you can know me. That's what God did in Jesus. Paul says it here in Colossians, and he says, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. See, God's invisible. We can't see him, and that's why rocks are great, and that's why steak is great, but, but Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, in a mountain, you get something of God. You get a picture of God. In a sunset, you get a picture of God. In a great piece of art, you get a picture of God. But in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You want to know him? The fullness of God is in him. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood 
of his cross. You see, God wants us to know him. And so he doesn't just put things in the earth. He comes to the earth. He takes on human flesh. He says, I want you to know me. Why? He wants to draw us to him, to reconcile us to him. And when we take communion, a very physical, created thing, we remember that Jesus, that God took on flesh because he wants us to know him. And he went to the cross to make peace by the blood of the cross, which is to say that we had a problem with God, but Jesus dealt with it. That Jesus wanted to reconcile us to him. He doesn't just want us to know him in some abstract way, but to be brought into his family. And so he goes to the cross to have our sins paid for and forgiven as his blood was shed and his body broken so that nothing would be held against us. And so we would have favor with God, righteousness in him. So here's the, here's, here's the thing. God wants us to know him. And so he's given us so many things to enjoy that communicate who he is, that help us know his love. But he even goes further than that. He doesn't stop there. He says, I'll actually come in. I'll enter. I want you to know me that bad. And I'll take away every obstacle, sin and shame and guilt, to bring you to be reconciled to me. That's the good news, and that's what we celebrate. And as we take communion, that's what we will remember. And as we sing, we will sing to that good God. So pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are the giver of all good things, as James tells us, that you have given to us life and breath, and that you've designed the world in such a way to draw us to you. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for Colorado and all the beautiful things that are here that you've blessed us with. We thank you for friends and for sun and for mountains and for laughter and for food and for uh, hiking and biking and all these amazing, beautiful things, God, that you've given to us to enjoy. God, thank you for them. Thank you that you communicate to us who you are through them. But God, thank you even more that you want us to know you so bad that you would come here. You didn't just send gifts, you sent yourself. You, you didn't just put little clues and hints. The fullness of you came to us in you, Jesus, and we thank you for that. Thank you for the great lengths that you went to to give us a reconciled relationship with you. Thank you for that, Lord, and help us as we pray now, as we sing now, and take communion to just know and remember how good you are. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.